out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastorm. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Cork bass band. It is the Frank and Walters, because I recently spoke to their vocalist, bass player, songwriter, Paul Lynham, to find out more about life, love and poetry. It's true. Anyway, this is the interview, so after seven minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years, the musical awakening that happens in lots of people's lives. Anyway, Paul is going to tell us everything. Paul, it's over to you. Why did um, my awakening was uh, Prefab Sprout? Right. Um, when I was about maybe 15 or 16, I kind of, um, when I heard um, When Love Breaks Stone. Right, Steve McQueen album. Yeah, when I heard that on the uh, on MTV, um, it just, it, it moved me. And it moved me more than any song had ever moved me. And um, when I, I mean, I, I then, I went out and I bought the album. Um, it was the first album that I had bought. And, um, I just fell in love with the album and I fell in love with the band. And it kind of, that's what kind of inspired me to kind of want to make music then because I, I never had the um, the inclination to want to make music. Yeah. Uh, and I think I just decided then to, 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 to want to make to music. To do it. Were yeah. your, what, did, did you have a musical family? Were, you, were your parents at all musical? And, um, and... They weren't musical. As an instrumental wise, but my father was a good singer, and my mother is also a good singer, but she was a bit shy to sing, but she had a beautiful tone. So yes. I come I, in that sense, I suppose vocally, I would probably come from there, you know. But and my father had had a desire to sing, but he was just he, if he had only kind of learned an instrument, he would have. He, I think he could have been successful because he had a, a lot of charisma and he, he had a very good voice as well. Yes. He, he was born in 1940, so the 50s would have been his time, you know, as a, as a teenager going into, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I but know. He, I think he, 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 is, he's, he has unbelievable, he still has unbelievable energy, you know, and that energy is kind of, for me, he could have used it in a in a, in a positive way with musically, right? Yes, absolutely. Because um, I know, I suppose if he was nineteen forty, yeah, he would have got that. I know people like David Bowie and Lemmy were both born in nineteen forty seven. So their their kind of moment was people like Little Richard and Elvis Presley and Buddy Buddy Holly and uh, Eddie Cochran were, were were the people they always mentioned. And I think the bands that you discover when you're 16, around that age, are so informative. You know, you can't be 16 again. I know that's a cliche. But, you know, that mindset, I think, is quite a massive thing, really, mm. yeah. which I think is good. And so, did you have any older brothers or sisters that gave you any musical direction? Um, no. Um, well, my younger brother, all right, he played guitar. He's um, And that was kind of just maybe after I had played. But um, I suppose my younger brother was was in the band with with, with me then as well, um, 
afterwards. And yeah, I it was just to be honest with you, it was kind of the desire came from just listening to music and just wanting to express myself. I think as well, probably I mean when I look back at it, I think the main reason why I probably wanted to get into music was to um first of all express myself, but then also was just a desire to be respected. I didn't necessarily want to be famous, but I just desired to be, you know, there's the respect that goes along with being, you know, a successful musician. Yes. And also having an identity as well. So when did you first pick up an instrument? When did, when did an instrument sort of find its Um, way in your hand? The first instrument I picked up was the bass and it was, it was at that time when I heard Prefab Sprout, the album, Steve McQueen, and I, I just, um, at that time, the only thing that I could focus on, the two things I could focus on when I heard a song was, was what was going on with the voice and what was going on with the bass. And I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on with guitar at that time, you know, at the very start. And I couldn't figure out what was going on with drums or anything else. So I, I, I kind of gravitated towards the bass. And um, and I, I learned the bass lines from the from the album, yes, uh, from the Steve McQueen album. Some some of them, like yes, I remember was, that was off. Then I was off. Then and that was it, you know. And yeah. then after that, then I I started learning the the, the bass lines for Joy Division because they were a big influence as well. Peter Hook, yes. Yeah, what, about, what, what did did the Smiths come into your consciousness? Andy oh, Rourke. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they came a bit later. Um, because I think I think Preface Broke was before the Smiths. I don't know. Um, but well, before the Smiths were maybe more popular. Um, because I think they they came around. It was around eighty five, maybe was it? And uh, well, the, the Smiths sort of came around sort of eighty two, eighty three, and they then did. they finished about eighty seven. And I went to see Prefab Sprout on that tour, Steve McQueen, because that you know wow. um, was was just stunning, actually. Um, just such a great album and you know John yeah. Peel played it a lot and then a few years later I realized they'd got an album before that be- Swoon, called Swoon yeah. which I and um I actually loved that more than than um than uh than Steve McQueen yes I when know I, I discovered it um, I think the lyrics the lyrics in um in some of the songs are phenomenal I mean there's one song that I really love the lyrics to and it's uh, Elegance that's I mean, that's amazing, absolutely amazing li- lyrics um, about, you know, the whole thing. You know, if you if you confuse this dinner dance with elegance, that's just brilliant for me, you know, because for what it means to me, you know, because it just means that, you know, elegance is not just for the rich, you know, it's it's for it's for everyone. You know, we always assume that pe- if people have if they're well dressed and they you know that they and they have money. We think that they're, you know, that they're amazing, but they're actually it's not it's not the the truth. You know, no, so that's an amazing amazing lyrics to that song. I love it. Yes, I know it was it was interesting though. People people with money doesn't don't normally have a great record collection. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's often a bit disappointing. It's kind of in the eighty in the eighties. It would have been Phil Collins. It would have been. Sade, he was all right, actually, and Simply Red, and then you'd have got, you know, possibly Paul Simon's Graceland. That would have been sort of the limit of it. It would have been 
a bit cheap and cheesy with Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet. So there you go. I liked, uh, I, I bought uh, two albums from Chardet, actually. Yes. I, like, I did like so if you liked if you yeah i mean she she comes from an amazing background an interesting story as well but if you if you like prefab stride and joy division did did the go-betweens come into your consciousness during this time as well because i know no, that... they actually didn't many people asked that uh were we influenced by the go-betweens and we actually weren't right i, I never really I never really listened to them to be honest with you yeah you know were they where were they from were they they're from australia, australia. so australia. and there was like i do remember there was a summer there was like the smiths brought out the queen is dead and then there was also the triffids doing born sandy Devo- devotional and i remember getting those two albums and being like consumed with this amazing music because yeah. you know again again you know we were we were kind of lucky in the 80s in the sense that we had the the so-called gatekeepers, you know, the the weekly music papers, but we also had John Peel, who would yeah. be bringing this kind of sort of interesting new music into our consciousness, and it was often that which 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 he would, I would listen to it. I'd always just record John Peel on a cassette and then listen to it several times to try and get some sort of sense of what he played because it was all new and it was often quite extreme. But then yeah. I I'd, I'd often find on a TDK D ninety cassette there'd be one brilliant song that you would just think that's it that's the one that i love but i'd yeah. I'd, re- I'd need to re- play it a few times i couldn't i you know it was just too it was just too much <laughs> the whole yeah. john peel experience without any song being familiar was too much you know because he would play you know indie pop but he would also play reggae and he'd play the bundu boys and he'd play you know oh, yeah. bulgarian folk music it was just amazing it's a, a, an unbelievable mixture of music that he played wasn't it we were blessed, actually, because because I, I guess you're a bit younger than me because because the 80s, I was I was really that indie kid between, you know, 80, 82 until the did the moment the Smiths broke up and my world yeah. collapsed. So yeah. were you a bit younger at that stage? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 55 now, so I'm 67 when it was when it was when I was born. But uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of discovered the Smiths around probably around 87 or something, do you know? Right. Um, Still, no, it was probably eighty four, maybe eighty eighty six or something like that. But it was just a bit slight bit later than when they came out first. Yes. Uh, yeah, but I I was definitely influenced by them. But I was more influenced lyrically by the Smiths than than in any kind of musical way. Yeah. Uh, I kind of just love Morrissey's lyrics, and you know, just you know, I don't know. Just the, the things that he come out with, you know, um, were just fantastic. You know, yes, it, 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 and it, it, it the the honesty of it, and you know, you know, not not being afraid to wear your heart on your sleeve. I, I thought that was that was amazing, uh, you know, to for him to do that. And but he done it in a poetic way, which is which is amazing. And we still and we still remember those lyrics today, which is yeah. quite something actually, which yeah. is which is amazing. So, what was your first kind of musical gig you went to at this stage? Because you had you had a lot of quite incredible bands knocking around Cork. Um, at that time, I had missed Five Got Onto the Sea and that, but I was kind of I um well, to be honest with you, one of the bands that I that I that I liked back then, and I, I actually loved them, was um, was a band called Blue in Heaven. I don't know if you know them. No, Blue in Heaven. 
Yeah, they're actually brilliant, like an, an absolutely brilliant band. They're a Dublin band. Another inspiration, I suppose. They were kind of um, rock and roll. I kind of just we we used to go to them when they played in Cork. We'd go re- religiously to their gigs, and then also at that time as well, I I would have loved the uh, the wedding present when the yes. when the wedding present would come. Another band that what I would that I went to see back then was um, the Waterboys. Right. Who I think are an absolutely amazing band. Probably one of my favorite songs of all time, I'd say, is "The Hole of the Moon." You know, I I just think, I mean, I mean that every time that still touches me today. You know, in the same way as it did when I heard it first, and and the lyrics in it. I'm still trying to work it out, but I, I think I might have worked it out for the first time <laughs> just the other day, what the song meant, you know, because I was always kind of, I was always wondering what what he meant by, you know, you saw the whole of the moon and I didn't. And yet I was the one who traveled out in the world for years and you just stayed in your room, but you saw the whole of the moon. And I was, I was kind of trying to figure out that doesn't make sense. But I just recently, I kind of, kind of think I figured out what it meant to me anyway. And that was that um it, it it's kind of like the part, I think he I, I read in an in an interview that he was he was going out with a girl. He just met a girl and he was going out with her from New York in New York and she said to him, Would you would you write a song for me? And he was in love and he he went and he wrote the whole of the moon. I think he wrote it in New York for her. And um, I kind of, what I was kind of figuring out from the song was that maybe it was the reason why she saw the whole of the moon that she just, she just lived life more, like she probably took more drugs and whatever, do you know what I mean? And just, you know, kind of lived her life quicker than him, you know, and just seen everything and done everything, you know, and he thought he had done everything, but he really hadn't because to reach too high, too far, too soon, you know, I was just thinking about the the drug side of it and how drugs can expand your mind, you know, yes. LSD or whatever. And maybe she wasn't, maybe she wasn't LSD. I don't know. But that's <laughs> the only thing that makes sense to me. Well, it's but interesting. That's all. I love it. Because I know, because I've got a friend who lives in this kind of, um, I suppose, a slightly new age spiritual haven in Scotland called Findhorn, which is kind of one of those places. And I know that um, Mike Scott lived there and he might still have a place there that he he stays yeah. in. And I know he, he would play concerts there. And I know he, so he has a sort of a, a spiritual sort of longing or a spiritual, a spiritual quest. But I often find that sometimes when people are looking for something so desperately, they kind of miss the point. So I had friends, especially in the 90s, who were hippies and stuff. They were always going to India and if they're always trying to get a kind of a guru to sort of follow and they'd always be reading this book to try and get a bit more wisdom. And sometimes I thought, blimey, you are trying a bit too hard. So, um, yes, there was something a little bit, yeah. I think kind of realising when they, when people have those journeys, they when they get to a point, they realise they're back to where they began and actually they didn't need to troops troop around the world and everything yeah. but it was an experience yeah. i don't know we're making up this song now aren't we really but um it's yeah. interesting like yeah. george harrison has, has a song about that doesn't he that you know you don't have to you know 
you you don't have to uh, travel, you know, to find adventure. You know, you can stay you can stay in your in your room. Like. Yes, so I know. Find it within. Well, I think that's I, what we personally, I I, I kind of prefer to to travel because <laughs> I just get bored. You know, I like to have an, just a a new adventure, a new experience. You know, just the sameness kind of just bores me. That's all. Yes, well, I'm not. I'm not surprised. So, did you were bands like Micro Disney? Were they important to to um, your kind of musical? No, no, they they were a band like I was kind of. I think I, was, I don't know. They, they, I never went to see them. You know, um, I never. I kind of didn't know too much about them, but I did know. I do know that like that they had a song "Tone to Tone" that was on top of the pops, and that was a really good song. You know, yeah. When, you know, there wouldn't have been um, an influence of, of 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 mine, you know. But I mean, I really, I really admire that song. You know, um, there was another band in Cork that I used to like growing up as well, and we used to go and see them. They were called um, Cypress Mine. They were a band that uh, they were probably one of the the more popular bands in Cork around in the late the late kind of eighties, mid to late eighties. Yes. And uh, they would have been a band that we would have went, went to see as well. Was there quite a, a vibrant sort of alternative indie scene that you were part of at this stage? In Cork? Yes. Um, no, no, not 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 really. Um, only, like, the, when you say indie scene, are you talking about new bands? Like, are you talking about just fans? Mostly, but yeah, I suppose fans, you know, like I know most places, you know, like Liverpool would have, you know, Eric's, you know, this club oh, yeah. that all the, yeah. you know, the people, you know. Yeah, the well, there would have been, there was a place where we used to go to uh, called the Liberty, the Liberty Bar. And that's where we used to kind of meet other other fans of, of indie music. And also there was like, there was a club called Sir Henry's. That would have been probably one of the places where. A lot of indie bands would have played and you know so that that was the kind of scene really that i knew but it was kind of more mostly our scene was amongst ourselves i mean the drummer ashley and the band and myself and and our, our friends we were kind of indie fans you know we were we were like you know you know we used to go on holidays and play play the smiths kind yes of in santa panza back in 1986 or something like that and People used to be giving out to us like because it was just it was so alternative at the time, you know. You wouldn't have got you wouldn't have got other friends of ours. It was just it was it was just too 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 alternative for them. And but I, I suppose we uh, we got there eventually. Cider and just kind of put my phone down because or just turn off the. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the Smiths were going to be one of those bands that would um, sort of attract lots of wild and excitable young women, really, to you. But um, <laughs> I don't, not not in eighty six or eighty seven. I don't think they'd be all slightly alienated and shy. But then, as the music scene, as the ninety, as the eighties progressed, you know, there was like the, the big moment the Smiths broke up, which was almost like the Beatles for me breaking up. Mm. And then, you know, there, the, that kind of music scene shifted quite a bit, really, because 
you know, there's that kind of, I think every five years as a new wave comes along, you know, of 16, 18 year olds who want their scene and, you know, bands that have been around and had a couple of albums all seem a bit old hat and boring. Mm. And you want to discover your new, you know, the new seven inch and the new band playing at the small club. Um, yeah. And then ecstasy comes along. So obviously that has a big effect on on sort of a certain musical sound and sonic quality mm. because suddenly yeah. people are taking a different drug and are dancing i mean this is a bit of a sweeping statement but it does it does bring in those bands to, to, to kind of dictate uh, yeah so you had the stone roses and happy mondays and the yeah. soup dragons and mm. and then also you had a certain amount of the the you know my bloody valentine then you had the seattle grunge scene started to appear with Bleach from you know the first album by Nirvana, and then obviously a few years later, Nevermind. So, what was it like for you? Because this is the period where you start to form the band, isn't it? The, the, the late eighties. Yeah, um, we would have been, we would have definitely been influenced by the Stone Roses, all right. You know, because we liked what they were doing, and you know, it was just amazing music. And I suppose there was a little bit of that. No, personally, I never took ecstasy because uh, I just didn't want to be taking drugs. So I never um, had, uh, you know, I don't know how, I don't know, I never tried it, so I don't know what it was, what it would be like to to listen to music when, you, when you're on it. I, I presume probably heightened experience, but, um, but yeah, but I suppose we, we were maybe kind of, slightly like we were slightly kind of indie dance kind of at the for our first album we would have used the kind of did more dance rhythms in in some of our songs like like fashion crisis it's new york and um walter's trip um daisy chain and michael um so there would have been that kind of more more of the rhythm of of the mu of the music like the, I suppose it all started with the funky drummer was with James Brown. Yes, and that's that was the beat that a lot of bands were actually were were, were sampling and uh, and copying and uh, and uh, that that's how the indie dance kind of music kind of seemed to evolve. And um, but yeah, we would have been influenced. It was a kind of a more that would have been a kind of like a thing that we would have done. It was probably probably the drummer Ashley was kind of in, into it, and we would just we would just do. I would write the songs, you know, at home on my acoustic guitar, and then I'd bring them into the jamming room, and then we just, you know, just just change them slightly to into that groove, just so that uh, I would just swing with the beat. But my vocals and uh, and and the guitar and then and then it would kind of uh, it would be sort of like an indie dance song. Yes. So you got signed quite quickly. How did that sort of all line up so smoothly for a band in their early formative period? Yeah. Um, well, what happened was we made a few demos in in Cork, and then we we came across this fella called Colm O'Callaghan, and he he heard about us through a friend of his and he came along to our jamming room and he he kind of we didn't know much about production at the time so he produced i think our third demo and our fourth and our yeah third and fourth i think 
I might have been second and third actually, second and third I think. And he then knew um had a kind of a, a relationship with Satanta Records in London and he sent our demo over and uh, Key Cullen liked it and then we just got signed on the strength of that and um then we'd moved over to England that was the kind of one of the one of the deal part of the deal was that Keith Cullen said to us look I'll sign you but you know you really need to be over in England with your music to to make any impact and you know to capitalize on it so we went over and we were delighted um, and um, then we through through we 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 started becoming successful and um like we got single of the week in melody maker and an enemy in for our first three eps and after that then there was a big hype about us from the from from the the newspapers uh, and also then so there was, there was a lot of record companies bigger record companies kind of came around and were courting us and we eventually signed with uh, Godisks then from that because Satanta it was a really small label at the time and couldn't um really kind of um I suppose bring us to the next level well they thought yes. they could but possibly they could have but they thought they couldn't but like Keith Cullen then in Satanta like he be kind of came our manager so he was still with we were still with Godisks what but Keith Cullen was managing us you know Yes, because were you alongside a house? Were you the first two bands to release something on the label? Well, we weren't actually, and it's funny you you should mention it a while ago. Five Go Down to the Sea, they became after Five Go Down to the Sea, they became a band called Beethoven, and Beethoven were the first uh, release on Satanta, right? And then he had. I think the next release might have been either Into Paradise, another band, another Irish band, and The Power of Dreams. And oh, then yes. Also, you had the Divine Comedy, and they were they 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 were they were kind of uh, they were just before us, and then we joined. No, actually, A House were were before us, and then and then we we came along in the in the chain. So we were about maybe six or seven bands, I'd say, along the chain. So had you already had you come across Craig from um, Craig Walker from Power of Dreams? At that time, I didn't because um, they had left the band. They had signed to Kate had signed them to I think it was like A and M or Polydor, and so they had left the label. So we I did I didn't kind of bump into them, but right. I obviously did see um, a house a lot. Um, uh, Dave Coase from A House, he he produced our first EP, and he also produced um, our second album. So he was he, he was a great producer, actually. That's yes, very good. Did the were you pleased? Did the first album come together quite smoothly at this stage? Um, yeah, 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 it did. Um, we uh, we only we ju- we recorded after all with um with Edwin Collins first and then the record company kind of said that they'd like us to try it with Ian Brody and Lightning Seeds and uh, so we gave it a go and lo and behold 
uh, Ian Brodie's the version that was, you know, released as a single and became successful. Um, so, you know, it was it's funny, but we got to a certain level with Edwin, and like he, I mean, he came up with the string line and, and the chorus, and you know, he, he obviously added a few a few kind of things that we wouldn't have had, you know, music musically. So, and and then when we brought it to Ian Brody, he just put the icing on the cake. Then you know, for for when he when he produced it. Yes, that's amazing, isn't it? Was that yeah. single after all that he produced? Yeah, after all that. Right. So at this stage, the band, I mean, you know, everything is kind of lining up like yeah. some planetary excitement. So yeah, it, must, exactly. it yeah. must have been it must have been an amazing time. So did it you was. start at this point sort of doing a lot of touring? Yeah, we did. Yeah. In 1992, we done something like 300 gigs or something like that and then recorded an album and, you know, did so much stuff. It was like we were burned out by the end of it, to be honest. By the end of it, it was just we were pushed too hard, right? We so, were kind of the band that couldn't say no, you know. So, because you know, when you're kind of on the crest of a wave, you want to do everything you can, yes, kind of, you know, to, to to you know to further your career. And, and how did and how did that move from Cork to London? Did was that a, a sort of positive journey? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if we had stayed at home, I don't think we would have. Um, we wouldn't have become successful at all. Um, you just, we kind of had to be, we had to be in London, to be honest. Yes. It was pre-internet, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you kind of had to make an, you had to make some sort of Im- impact by, you know, we used to call along to our PR, PR man, you know, Alan James was his name, and kind of got to know people personally, and it kind of, I think that that kind of helps. And then, you know, if there's a gig comes up, you know, you look, someone need, needs a support band like like we supported the blue airplanes and it was just like you know, the, the, the you know the blue airplanes needed support can you do it and we said yeah of course and we did it but what i said we, we, if we were in car that might not have happened you know no There's a lot of stuff like that was like you know the enemy the enemy wanted to do an interview with you and you know he's we're in london you know so you can just do you can do the interview you know and you can just call over to to meet the journalist and Yes. So you it was uh, important then. It, I, I could imagine being on yeah. there. I often think that with the '90s, especially that the amount of bands in London. I did mm. an interview with Phil from um, Phil King, who was in Lush, yeah. and he was laughing about the kind of yes, Brit pop, the musical, really, wasn't it? You know, it could be written because there was there was quite a scene, wasn't there? And you could sort of make up a few stories, but I think it would work well. It's it's an idea. Whether I'll write it, I don't know. But uh, I don't. I don't think anyone will, anyone will want to watch it. But then, the, then, then you know, Britpop is literally taking off. Everyone's got very excited. Yeah. You've got bands like Space. You've got you know, obviously Elastica, Blur, Suede, and and then there's this kind of huge gap from '92 where where things you you sort of drop off the radar. Radar. What yeah. happens at this? That point? was '93. We we kind of dropped off after '93. Yes. It was like, I think it was just, we had to write the second album and uh, we were burnt out after like, and, and probably kind of overwhelmed by the success. Um, even though like we were in our 20s, we weren't mature enough, to be honest with you, um, to, to handle the success that we had because we come from working class, class 
backgrounds and we just didn't we didn't kind of like the attention that we got you know we were kind of kind of private people yes yeah and we just i just i didn't like it anyway i didn't like you know being you know i just felt too self-conscious walking down the street where people were pointing at me and you know kind of talking there's your man i prefer i just prefer to be anonymous personally yeah and uh and um we, we came back to, to came back to Cork and we decided to write uh, the next album, The Grand Parade. And that was that was kind of finished around probably probably took about two years to write. And uh, then it should have came out in ninety five, but because there was problems with the record company in that they were sold to Polygram Go Discs, um it, everything got slowed down. Um being the 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 choice of who was going to produce the album, then yes. the like the, 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 actually going to record the album, then the choice of who was going to mix the album, and then it was like when the album was going to be released, and it was like that definitely probably took up another year and a half. It, it could it was a year and a half longer than it should have been. I think um, we could have probably released the album probably in like 95 whereas it came out in 96 you know yes that is um that's very frustrating because yeah it is um, yeah but that's the things that happen with you know when you sign to a record company that you know they're at the time they were selling the record company to polygram and it was that's that's where their focus was you know and they and they were probably thinking are we going to put you know more money into the Franken Waters when when the Franken Waters are going to be given to Polygram. They're probably thinking, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So actually, they, they did a good thing by selling. I think I think they got a good they got a a great deal of money for it, and they probably sold at the right time. You know, to be honest. Yes, well, yes, but um, yeah, slightly harder for the artist. Independent, then after that, and just. <laughs> They were off again. <laughs> so who did you, where did you record it and who was your producer? Was this David who was doing the producing of this one? Dave Coase. For, yes. for the Grand Parade. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, Dave, Dave Coase, yeah. He produced it and we used, we used Dave with Chenzo Townsend as the engineer because he had engineered after all for us and we just realised, you know, how much of an amazing engineer he was. So we we convinced the record company to go with Dave Coase and Chenzo Townsend. Right. We 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 recorded the the album then in uh in the Cocteau Twins studio which was done in um it was called September Sound which was done by um near Eel Pie it was actually on Eel Pie which is it was the upstairs of Eel Pie which was owned by P Townsend you know in um and how long did it take to record the album how long did you spend in the studio studio i'd say about maybe three months or something right during the summer because it's got a lot of strings on it hasn't it it's got a much more orchestral quality and you also got dear old terry edwards who was once at the uea was also to do arrangements as well didn't you for the Hope and Exist, the Russian ship, and um, 
Little Dolls, I think, was it? Yeah, Little Dolls, those three songs. Yes, my God, that was quite that was quite something. And and was it fun having this kind of extra sort of lush sound to the band? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, and Terry was great, great to work with. He's the nicest person in the world, yeah. really. He's yeah. just such a delightful person. Yeah. And with with your with going to Polygram, how did that when the release came out? Did did you get support and and sort of back? No, um, Polygram uh, didn't want to release the album. So this was the Grand Parade, you now, which is a which is probably our best album and like a good album, you know. When you when you when you kind of when you listen to it and you know it is it, it's it's a quality album and they didn't want to release it you know so um keith cullen managed to, to get it back and release it on satanta right that's how it came out on satanta records god that's lucky isn't it yeah. and did and did it get a good reception at this stage um do you know what it wasn't bad but it could have been better um i mean it's like with our first album was was received very well, but I think it was the timing was everything. We were in the right place at the right time with the right music, but with the Grand Parade, it was at that point the you know the British media was kind of more focused on on Britpop just when when we released the Grand Parade, and uh, I don't think we we were Irish pop. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I don't think we fit it. Yeah, uh, I'd suppose. But to be you... honest with you, I mean, like musically, it it, it fitted with the Britpop um, kind of, uh, I suppose. What would you call it? The Britpop uh, e- equation, or there's another word that I can't come that I can't come to mind. Doesn't come to mind, but so you know, formula actually, it it, it, it would fit into the Britpop formula because. You know, with Britpop, you had, you know, Blur, who were kind of like sounding like the Kinks, and you had Oasis, who were sounding like the Beatles. And when you listen to our, our our album, The Grand Parade, it it was it was a kind of a sixties kind of influenced album as well, like by both both the Kinks and um and the Beatles, you know. So and because I remember at that stage you had bands like My Life Story, who also Brought in a rather, I don't know, lush sound, didn't they? They they really started to dress up a lot and sort of make quite sort of quite orchestral sort of pop, which you know was exciting. And obviously, mm. the Divine Comedy as well brought in a sort of element of that as well, didn't they? So it would have you would have fitted right in with that kind of excitement. And it was that that period of new labour, wasn't it? Eighty yeah. nineteen ninety seven was was the great moment when. It, Team Tony took over the reins, didn't he, of number 10? So um, there was a sense of optimism in the air, wasn't there? Oh, so yeah. much optimism. Yeah, yeah. I, that was in, 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 in Britain, but it, politically, yes, I suppose. And there was a certain amount. And money slash, sloshing around, wasn't it, really? Yeah. Cocaine yeah. and champagne, it was just a very exciting time for those bands. Yeah. And then and then sort of once that came out, what was the mood of the band because obviously this, you know, you were back on back on the record label. Yeah, we, were, we were we were good, but we were a bit disappointed that that um, that it didn't do better um, because 
it was a better album than our first one. And we just thought, hang on, this is by far better than our first album. And yet still, you know, it's not as successful. And, you know, then we, uh, we decided to go to America. So we went to America with the album and we lived in New York for about a year. And we toured all over America with the album. We, we signed to a, a Sony Red Ink in America. Mm. Label. And uh, we, we, we gave it a go and uh, we had a great time. And, you know, it was fantastic. It was, it was like kind of almost key to our manager suggested it. And it, it was, you know, that we, you know, go over there and try and see what we could do there and make an impact in America. But... America is so big, you know. <laughs> you could be just you could be touring one state for the rest of your life, and you you wouldn't make an impact. Yes, but that was yeah, a, it's, that it's was a, that was a serious bit of time and investment to to sort of go and live in America and just tour tour yeah. the whole state. Because most bands I speak to, it's um, doing going to America often is the thing that kind of breaks them up. They just can't cope and they come back, yeah. and that's yeah. the end. So how did you? sort of managed to sort of navigate did you was it because you were living there that that yeah we did yeah and i think as well that like i think what happens with bands in when they go to america is that normally they become successful in britain and you know they're used to that kind of adulation you know and that you know when you when you play a concert uh in, in england and you're playing the Astoria or whatever and you're doing you're doing good and and then you go to america and you you know you're playing to 45 people or you know yes uh, in, in 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 a place and you know it, it it affects the morale and then what happens is that bands i think when they they can't take it because it's when you're on tour in america it's night after night after night and it could be you could be touring america like for for six months or you could be you know two months or whatever but i think that it just it affects p bands morale and then the I think they start to despair and, and doubt themselves, you know, because they're not, they're, you know, it's not, it's not happening for them. And then a lot of them split up, you know. So, they, so did you tour as a, as a three piece or a four piece? At that time it was a three piece. Three piece. And mm-hmm. how many, and how many dates did you play? Do you remember how many gigs you played at that time? Oh, I wouldn't because we lived there and um, we 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 used to kind of travel up up and down the east coast, and then we went over and done a few 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 tours on the on the on the west coast, you know. And yeah. Was, um, and we didn't go near the middle. I think we done one gig in uh, Cincinnati once. I think that was it. And did and <laughs> um, and did you did you feel with that kind of experience that by the end did you feel like you had a I know it's a bit of a dirty word. A market was that was there a sort of a a fan base that I'd it was yeah. I mean, we we done we done very well on college radio in America. You know, we used to get the the, the kind of the results of that every you know every, every month or something like that, or every fortnight. And we, we you know our kind of ratings on college radio were really good, and we just we just kind of started to make an impact. But I think to be honest, when in in ninety we went there in ninety seven and we came back in ninety eight. And I think that we kind of, uh, I kind of got fed up with America, to be honest with you, <laughs> in a sense, because I, I just, 
I suppose I got, I got a, maybe I got a bit homesick. No, I, I liked living in New York, but it was crazy. Like it was just, a, it was just, it's a crazy city, and, and uh, it's okay. It was, it was, I mean, I really enjoyed living there, but like, I, I kind of couldn't visualize myself living there for a longer period. You know, I, I couldn't imagine being there for the rest of my life. And, yeah, and, and I kind of went. Then we decided to come back. You know. Um, yeah, I kind of, I think that, uh, yeah, America wasn't for me, and and uh, like, I'm I'm glad I came back. To be honest, <laughs> because... and, did, and did you at that stage? I mean, obviously you were three piece, and your next album, you know, is quite pared down compared to the previous one. You did um, Beauty Becomes More Than Life. Was this a sort of an album which was kind of very much reflecting on that experience in America? Yeah, yeah, I think it would have it would have been yeah because that was around that period that period when we came back from America and uh, we just I suppose what I suppose the experience that we had there, but it was also that. That album, we were we were ready for change, kind of musically, and that that album was produced by Rob Kerwin, and he was sort of experimental, and um, he was we we were up for it, you know, we were up for the change. We liked we liked what he was doing, and just kind of just, I suppose, he seemed to create a kind of more of a, an ambient, like a different sort sort of ambience, and and kind of. The songs went down different directions because a lot of them were, I would have written them at home, but um, a lot of them were actually kind of the, the drums and, and the music was worked out actually in the studio. Yeah, that would that wouldn't have been something that we wouldn't have done prior to that. Everything would have been worked out in this, you know, in the rehearsal room before we go recording, and then we just we we nailed what we were doing. But I think that experience was more. Kind of, let's see how you know this drum pattern would fit with that song, and this drum sound would fit with that song, and you know key keyboards and stuff like you know just. I think Rob done a really good job. Actually, he was um, with that album. He's a brilliant engineer. Absolutely. Yes, and he went on amazing amount of people like Howie B. Sorry, he worked with Howie B, didn't he? And um, and then. Various other people, you too. Yeah, he worked with Flood as well. Yeah. Yeah, He he learned a lot from Flood, I think. Yes. My God, that's... What I I loved about Rob was that his drum sound, I loved the way he could could get an amazing drum sound. That was was something that I was, you know, I was floored by. And I I still think to this day that um, the sound of drums are, are a huge part um to to the to to any song you know i mean you can you can destroy a song by having the wrong the wrong drum sound in my opinion and you know the, the drums are a, they're a huge part of kind of pop music you know and our and our music guitar music you know and if you even if you choose the wrong ambience for a song it changes the song completely and can turn what could be a really good song into just an average one you know yes absolutely 
I know, I, I can't remember his name. He was in a band called The Bible, but he said, getting the drummer is the key to a band. And also I spoke to a few drummers who had terrible experiences in the studio with the producer who obviously, yeah, there was a personality clash. So there was a couple of people who had a bad time yeah. with the click track. They just didn't Always enjoy the click track, did they? So, um, yeah. but I yes. Can, I, I can kind of understand it from a producer's point of view that if a drummer can't can't kind of go go with the, go play along to a click track like I, I could understand why a producer would get frustrated and, and want to just you know get a different drummer or something you know what I mean because I mean I mean even even Green Day use a, a different drummer when they actually record to, to their actual drummer you know and I mean their drummer is amazing can you imagine the fella that they that they that they get to to play the drums from? Yes. So it's when when music is when music is pop music, and you know if you want if you want music to be in time and you know to be to be sort of professional sounding, you kind of you kind of need to have drums that are kind of on the money, you know, because unless 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 you know there's there's certain music out there that. You know, out of time, uh, drums probably suits, and and I and I can understand that, and I and I know that there's certain songs that drums when when drums speed up, you know, it suits the song better. Apparently, Charlie Watts used to do it a lot with the Stones, and would you put you you know one wouldn't notice it, but he was speeding up, and 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 towards the end of the song, the song was getting more and more exciting because yeah. of speed and stuff, but. That works, but there's certain songs I think that you know, personally from my experience, they have to be in time. You know, otherwise they sound awful. <laughs> yes. Well, if you if you, if you ever get a chance, you you mentioned yeah. the wedding present. There's a film um, called George Best, which was about the making of the album, and there's a big thing about the drummer and the producer. And Is there? Uh, wow. Yeah, there's, there's kind of a there's a, quite a chapter in those because they they do replace the drummer and the producer. There's a lot of fl- friction, obviously between those two, but there's also friction with the band and the original drummer who is obviously finding that um, his days are numbered. It's not. It's a it's a sad story. It'll make you, so you'll he, love it. He leave the band. Yeah. Oh yeah, he had to leave the band after George Best. He probably well, didn't. I think during it actually. During yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it happens. It happens to a lot of bands. I've I've heard um, I've heard a lot of bands where, you know, the the drummer wasn't cutting it. You know, when it came to recording, and they had to lose him. Otherwise, they 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 wouldn't be able to take the next step. I just yes. It depends on the type of music you're playing. If you're five go down to the sea, you don't have to have a drummer who's in time. You know, you know, it, it's like, you know, there's certain bands that it that it that it where where it's just a more about you know avant-garde music yeah it doesn't matter but there was there was the go-betweens they had an issue with the drummer lindy and also another band courtney love and um, the band hole that she was in there was an issue with the drummer as well so is that a female drummer yep and did they replace that drummer as well yeah another female is it i don't know they were just they just replaced her so um Okay. So you know, which was painful for everyone. She made a film called "Hit So Hard." The the woman Patty, oh, so, right. yeah. the drummer. 
It's um, it's it's a story about the the life of a drummer in a band. So look, when once we and we come to the millennium, we're obviously the millennium bug is on our on our minds at this stage. We're thinking planes are going to drop out of the sky, electricity is going to go, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you come out with Glass, which is your sort of album in two thousand with a, a bigger lineup, and also Flood is is kind of mixing it as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he mixed the song um, Underground. Um, yeah, again, that was Rob Rob Kerwin at the at the helm, and at that point we were even more ready for <laughs> experimentation. So we set out because we we just didn't want to make another another album that was kind of similar. You know, we just want to you know just move on. Yeah, make an experimental album. So we decided the premise for the for that album was that we would try to make an album without using drums, without using like organic drums, without using organic bass and without using organic guitar. That was our that was like how we said, okay, let's let's make it out of so anything we can anything we can use to 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 replace those instruments. And uh eventually we we tried and we got so far using kind of keyboards and and we didn't know it at the time, but like we didn't know that us not using bass drums or, or organic guitar, that what we were actually doing was making an electronic album. We didn't know. We didn't realize <laughs> it. We just like, it was just happened. But if, if we if we had kind of worked out before and said, let's come on, just let's make an, or, an, an electronic album, we would have, we would have been. It would have been a lot easier for us. <laughs> we would have known. We would have known what we were doing. Yes, but we were just experimenting with with different different uh, things, and eventually, we just started to use electronic drums and um, electronic bass, and you know, synth. We tried to replace the guitar with synth. So, but we found as we went along that we just. We had to cheat, and we we like we, we we did a mixture of like the organic drums, the organic bass, and 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 the organic guitar mixed with the with, with the electronic because it was just it was just it was just too kind of um, it was too kind of sparse, and it just didn't have the energy, you know, that you get, you know, mm-hmm. the power that you get from a, a live drum, you know, live drums and you know bass and guitar. You know, and the guitar is such a dynamic instrument as well that it's hard to get those dynamics when you when you kind of trying to record with um, electronic instruments. Yes, and where did you record this one? Where, where what studio did you use? Um, it was recorded. We we rented a house in uh, Kinsale in County Cork, and um, we we recorded the album there, and then we. We went to mix it in Windmill Lane Studios at the time. Yes, and what and what was the atmosphere like of the band once that album had been released and you'd done some dates? Did you was it still feeling optimistic or were you? Oh uh, yeah, of... um, I suppose yeah, we were feeling optimistic. Yeah, at that time, and um, we just just. Did the album we we were proud of the album you know and 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 still are to this day but i don't think our fans you know were were kind of ready for it 
um, because it was just too much of a departure yeah. from what we were doing. But at the same time, I, I still, I still, when I look, it's like it's an album that's getting better when I listen back to it. It's it's actually better now. I like it more now than I did back in when 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 we recorded it, because it was like I wasn't even ready for it back then. But I kind <laughs> of I think to be honest with you, music, I think the music industry has changed so much in that you know the almost like what's kind of the norm no is kind of electronic music it, it, it's there within everything and i think that our music like what we were doing then is kind of just fits in with, with kind of what's happening no do you know what i mean yeah that with that album it's kind of it just makes more just seems to make more sense and i don't know just my i suppose my spirit was just is 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 more is more able to accept and and comprehend what we were doing then no than it, than it was back then. Yes, but then when your when your brother left the band, was that a surprise or or did you realise he was he was thinking of going a few years later? Um, no, it wasn't a surprise. Um, myself and my brother were kind of like the, the Gallagher brothers. To be honest, which uh, we never really got on ever. In in the band, when it came to the band, we never really got on. Right. We spent years arguing about musical directions and all various other things. And uh, just for years arguing, like killing each other, just like the, the just like the, the Gallagher brothers. And um, um, then it came to it and he left. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm. It's an awful thing to say, but I'm. I was happy that he left, you know, because I was sick of the fighting. Because we used to just, you know, we used to kill one another. It was just, it was madness. We just, you know, lose. I I hate losing my temper, and he was the only person that I would lose my temper with, you know, and vice versa. And um, when he left the band, it was a huge relief to me. No, so we, I, I, to be honest with you, since he's left the band, and that was probably he might have left around two thousand and three or something around then. It's probably twenty years. These twenty years have been so amazing for me. I've been a million times happier in the band. Yes, you know, I mean, and this is why when I when I see. Um, Oasis, and I see, you know, I, I understand why why Noel Gallagher doesn't want to get back with his brother. Do you know, I understand why why he, you know, just doesn't want to, you know, we reform Oasis. Like I, I completely understand because he's probably like me in the sense that he he's able to enjoy himself. <laughs> you know, just you know. Being in his own band and in, in enjoying it. I mean, for the last twenty years, I've got on with all the members of my band, or, or band, sorry. Yes. And um, I've, you know, I've really enjoyed our company, and they were they're fabulous people. Um, I've always got on with Ashley, the drummer, and then Kevin Pedreski filled in for my brother Niall um, for the first probably ten years, and. He was amazing. 
a beautiful person and I, abs I absolutely loved him and I, I loved touring with him and I, I just loved recording with him. He's a beautiful person I'm, and I'm still still friends with him to this day. And then we had Kean, the keyboard player, another beautiful person, great sense of humour, intelligent, you know, um, we, we always got on great and same then when Rory joined the band, got on brilliantly with him. A lovely person as well. Um, brilliant sense of humour. Just like the the band that I'm with, like as people, they're they're just wonderful people. Wonderful, yes. wonderful people. I, I mean, you I only know now because I had such a bad time being in a band with my brother, and I really appreciated being in a band. You know, with the people that I'm that I'm with, it's just so important that you get along with the members of, of your band. If you don't, it's hell. It's actually hell because being in a tour bus with someone that you can't that you don't get on with, or traveling on a plane and you're sitting next to someone you don't get on with, like it's a nightmare, absolute nightmare. Oh no, it yes, this is this is all true. This is yeah, it is isn't good. So was that the kind of the 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 sort of inspiration for the title, the 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 next album, which you a renewed released. interest in happiness. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of it, but you might be right. <laughs> I don't. It just sounded like at the time, I suppose, when my brother left the band, my myself and Ashley called that that they were the wilderness years, where we kind of had to regroup and write the next album and find you know, a new member in, in Kevin Podreski. And uh, um, I suppose we're just trying to, I just wanted to do, write something positive uh, if, if, I, if I could, I suppose. I suppose the, the Glass album was, it was, it was kind of dark, I suppose, in a sense. Yes. Uh, being electronic, electronic is kind of, kind of, music is a bit like that, I think. And, um, so I just wanted to just have something uplifting and, and positive. So I just decided to write those songs, and then the name just popped up, and I said, "Yeah, I'll go for it." You know? Yes, that's that's yeah. that's quite sweet, really. But then, I mean, you you're now on a different record label, FIFA Records. Yeah, where are they based? What's um, they were set up in in Cork, uh, and I suppose the the man, the two men who set it up were um, Killeen O'Flynn and Pat Doyle, and and they kind of they they kind of wanted to kind of have set up a record label and they signed a few bands and then eventually Ashley kind of got to know them and they signed us and um, then Ashley kind of became a member, a part of FIFA Records as well himself. And he kind of, he kind of, he's been kind of running it for for a few years with with uh, with Colleen and Pat. Fantastic! They've even got the Woodbees. I love the Woodbees. Yeah, the Woodbees. Yeah. God, that's such yeah. a great album. Did you? There, there's some great bands on it, actually. Yeah, there are a lot of great bands. Yeah. I mean, once once you did the first album, did the band? Did you then splinter a bit, or was the band put on hold before you put? The next album, Greenwich Meantime. 
uh, the first album on on that um, on FIFA, yeah, because you, you that was '06. You had a renewed uh, interest in happiness, and then it was 2012 when you bring out the next studio album. I just wondered if the band had slightly gone into hibernation. Um, no, I suppose kind of like what happened is that you kind of um, were doing. People had we had to get jobs, you know, and stuff like that. Kind of was because the music wasn't. We were no longer like you know, relying on music for our, our, our livelihood. Yes. So, um, I was doing a few, I was doing some building work and that kind of kind of slowed me down with the, with, um, with, with, with writing songs, you know, and, and then eventually, you know, I, I found the time and I, and I kind of wrote the songs and, and eventually we, we recorded, um, I suppose that there, Around that time, then as we had Kevin Madreski was gone, and 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 um, we had uh, Rory Murphy kind of taken over his job, so there was a bit of a uh, bit of time gone in there with Rory learning the set and Rory kind of kind of playing with us for the new songs, and um, so there was a bit of time wasted there as well, I suppose. Yes, I won't, I won't say wasted, but. <laughs> That's what slowed us down, you know. Because yours kind of last, the next album is the last one you've done, which is now a few years, Songs songs for the Walking. Again, is it the same sort of setup? You have to sort of get a day job for a bit and then sort of find time to write, then record, and then just kind yeah. of do a few promotions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, exactly. And um, it's the same now. It's the same now. Um, I'm writing the songs for for our next album, but uh, I have, I think I've a bit more time, I suppose. Um, so I, I have I have a lot of songs written, you know. Yes. Um, I've I've plenty. It's just getting to time to record them. I so I started recording them myself, um, using uh, Logic Studios. I've been kind of I've had Logic now for about twelve years, I'd say. So I've kind of got used to it. Right, and I kind of, I'm kind of enjoying it, I suppose, and I've just, just you know, kind of producing it, the next album maybe myself, you know. Okay, so is it the case that the the other members of the band will you be sort of potentially using them for the next album? Yeah, I'd say so, but kind of what happened was when lockdown came along, we couldn't go jamming anymore, so. I just decided to start recording the songs um, at home. It was just something for me to do. Yes. During lockdown, and, uh, and 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 I was writing a lot as well. So as I was writing, I was kind of trying to get them recorded. Now I have the I have the bones of them recorded, but it's kind of it's just more about just getting getting something recorded. I mean, finish doing the finishing touches is. Um, it's another thing, and and I'll uh, I'll see what I'll see what kind of what happens. Yes, it sounds like it won't be this year. Um, it could possibly, could possibly be, depending on because I have, I mean, I I've probably I've probably recorded, maybe I've started to record maybe about ten songs. Right. So. And 
so it was just it would be just a matter of finishing them off so, this could be good will that if yeah. you do will that be on fifa records again yeah i'd say so fantastic this yeah. is all very exciting actually and are you still sort of doing the occasional live date at all as a band oh yeah we are yeah we, we we've uh we've toured we're touring all the time you know um like we we played probably about at least maybe 30 gigs last year right 35 maybe and probably do the same this year we're kind of a, a weekend band like you know kind of play, play gigs on weekends and, that, and that's it we we don't tour because too too many of us have jobs that uh that won't you know won't allow for touring no no everyone like everyone is apart from me the, the rest of the members of bands have uh, full-time jobs so the, the only they can only play at weekends yes well no i've come across a lot of bands who sort of friday and saturday nights are the the two that they might be able to fit a gig in and then it's quite seriously back to monday morning and work which is which is kind of fair enough you know weekend pop stars we are the the (laughs) weekend indie kids aren't they really but they they obviously they know that they're not going to be able to retire anymore do you on that on that front do you own the music do you own your own public the publishing of the 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 music that you've made or is that still sort of in other people's grip and we have it all back um from because uh, the publishing ran out in, um, I think, about ten years ago. Right. And uh, we had it. We had it written into our, our contract that we get it back after fifteen years, I think. And um, so this was for our first and second album. And I, like the third album, we 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 kind of we owned the, the, the copyright. We have copyright control for for the all all the other albums. Yes. So we got we got it all back. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So does that mean you you can occasionally earn some royalties on on the music you've done? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we earn we 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 earn royalties on it, but we kind of share them. I've I've shared the royalties with the other members of the band. I, I didn't, even though I wrote the songs myself, the majority of them. I from day one, I kind of decided. To share everything equally excellent even with your brother with, with, the, with the first band even with my brother yeah excellent has uh, that relationship improved now that you're no longer in a band together no it hasn't <laughs> so but it had for a while but uh we had another we had another burst up there about um about three years ago right yeah and it's it's looking like that <laughs> that we might never talk to each other <laughs> is it most is it mostly about musical differences oh no not at all not at all it's hey. it's this is it like because he's not in the band anymore like you know it's like what we had three years ago was was uh something something else you know it was just a it was it was a personal kind of issue right fair uh, enough we had a you know a massive argument you know so <laughs> Uh, so I don't think so. I don't think we were we weren't born to get on anyway with each other. This is true. This this sometimes that's happens. why I think even when you think about Oasis, that if they did reform, should they break up again after <laughs> probably two months? You know what I mean? With more arguments. 
Yes, it's. it's I, I think it's what it's sibling rivalry. You know, it's it kind of just boils down to sibling rivalry. I mean, it must be impossible for for them, you know, because like Noel was writing all the songs, and then Liam was singing them, and like Liam was probably getting more of the glory than Noel in a sense, and maybe Noel resented that, you know, and and it was just the rivalry that was that existed there must have been huge. You know? mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the the biggest one I've ever heard is I did an interview with two members of Gene Loves Jezebel because the, they're twin brothers and they they really do they do have some real hatred towards each other. So. Oh, do they? All right, yeah. And yeah. did they did they um did they did you did you interview them together? No, oh, God, they good. they really don't. I mean, I think one of the problems is there's now two bands. There's two Gene Loves jezebel bands is there there's yeah there's two they both own the name and they both tried to sue each other i think and um but they've kind of you know they're not it wasn't good it's still i don't think it was ever (laughs) good but um yes there's a lot of dislike and stuff like that so you had the same with the kinks didn't you yes i know they didn't get on either yeah i one, one bands just don't don't do it. <laughs> one one of the one of the brothers said to me, he told his um, son. He said, if if my brother comes to my funeral, I want you to kill him. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a bit much. I thought that's quite serious, all right, isn't it? It was a little bit serious. I thought, all oh, right, okay. It's it's like there was a lot of stuff there, but um, anyway, there as long as they keep on different continents, I think they'll be okay. Are they on different continents there? I think one's in America, one's in the UK, but hopefully they'll... And do they they tour? Do they tour with the band, yeah? Well, they both have that name. You know, there's one called So-and-So's Gene Loves Jezebel, and there's another one called Their, you know, Gene Loves Jezebel. So Gene hates Jezebel. They they don't, yeah, I know. Anyway, the lawyers got very rich, I think, in all the court cases with them. uh, It's a bit silly, really. But look, if you, I know, I was going to say, if you could have told your 16-year-old self something, yeah. um, what, what, you know, some little word of advice, is there, any, is, is there anything that you would have said other than about your your sort of being in the band with your brother? Um, well, what I would have said was that, like, don't worry. You know, that uh, it's uh, worrying is, 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 a, is, is a waste of time. Uh, and that everything would be all right. That's what I kind of. That would have been what I I I would say to myself because I think definitely think of worry too much. <laughs> yes, was it was 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 that a part? Was that in the early years of the band when you had more kind of expectation and pressure, or was that just mostly your adult life? Yeah, it's most of my adult life. It's 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 me. Like when I. I I have I have my son and uh, I I was reading his Mister Men books, you know. To him, we got a we kind of got a box set of Mister Men's uh, books, and uh, I was reading them. And one night, I read Mister Worry. That was one of them, one of one of the books. And I was looking at it. And I said, "My God, that's me!" <laughs> I said, "That's me!" I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yes yeah yeah but at least you at least you acknowledge it i think that at least you can work on something you know oh uh, yeah 
yeah, once you yeah. once you know these these things. But to be honest with you, I do think as well that it's like being that person that probably worries too much. It's it's helped me to create the songs that I've created. You know, I think that that that's definitely been a part. That's something that's driven me. Yes, to write those songs. So, because some when I get worried, I probably I, I I normally write a song. You know, to to calm me down. You know, and to figure out like what what it is that I'm worried about. And by the time I've written the song, what I was worried about comes out in the song, and everything is solved and it's all fixed. You know, that's what that's the whole. That seems to be the whole process. Excellent. Songwriting well, that... does for me, like. Yeah, that's good. And did you enjoy these kind of? Because you you often do these shine weekends, didn't you? You did yeah. one in the autumn. Yeah. Have you found your fans are still with you, and and have yeah. you discovered new fans that have started yeah, yeah. to? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like this year, like we've played it, I think three times, and this year I decided because my son and and my and my partner they were heading to Germany for that weekend. So I decided to stay for the whole weekend because we played on the Friday night. And um, normally I would just play the gig on the Friday and I would just go home, you know, yeah. with my son and, and, and my and my partner. And this time, I, because I was free, I decided to stay and watch the other bands and enjoy it. And uh, I really did. I really did enjoy it. And I, and I met a lot of fans as well you know just kind of just from just being at the gigs and wandering around the the whole the whole site which is butlins you know and uh i loved it absolutely loved it and i think minehead is a beautiful place itself uh, have you been there yourself well uh, i remember when in the late 60s and early 70s we used to my parents for a few years when we were quite young and there's like two older brothers we would do butlins holidays or pontons holidays yeah and um mine had i'm not sure i can't remember which one we did actually i have to ask my mum yeah. to see if we went to minehead but i mean when you're i don't know how old we were we were quite young they seemed like such exciting places you know oh, amazing I, I i i had one we had one in ireland which was a butlins but it was in in, in the kind of just above Dublin, in a place called Mosney. Yes, and uh, I loved it. I I still think to this day it was probably my the best holiday I've ever had. No, yeah. I was probably six or seven at the time, but I I always remember it. You know, with fondness, like and and that's why as well when when I went to Minehead to to the Butlins there, it kind of reminded me of being back uh, in Butlins and. I love just being in, staying in in the chalets, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's actually a great experience. And the amazing thing about Minehead is that when you play that the, the Shine On gigs, like that, every person there, they're genuine music fans. And you know what? There's no trouble whatsoever. The camaraderie there is amazing. The 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 people there are lovely. Every person that you meet. Are just they're lovely people, you know. And you know there was something like seven, seven and a half thousand people there at that festival, and there wasn't one bit of trouble, no trouble whatsoever. And you know, you're talking about people who are like unbelievably drunk out of their heads, and yet there's no trouble 
it, it, it's it's astonishing like because yeah. we've got so many beautiful people what i would say just beautiful people coming to coming to the festival and enjoying themselves and you know getting a bit nostalgic and you know going back so, so what was what was the high what was the band that was a highlight for you that you got to see because it was a good lineup i just kind of yeah. curious um do you know what um i'd seen them in the past um um there was a few bands that i liked there i mean i i didn't get to see ash because i was i was i would think i i was i would i just was doing something else i i, I missed them yeah and what i got to see um I got to see a band called Sack, and I love them. They're a Dublin band, and they were they were absolutely brilliant. And I also got to see um, a Teenage Fan Club, and I I really enjoyed them as well. And to be honest with you, when they were going, I wasn't a huge fan of them. You know, back when we were kind of around at the same time, mm. I I become more of a fan of them now, um, and I really enjoyed them. They were really good. And yeah. It's just a few other bands that were kind of knocking around at the time. Ash or a great band as well. I love Ash. Yeah. And do you have any, I mean, you've got dates. Well, theoretically, you've got dates. Do you have any other kind of festivals, anything lined up for 2023? Yeah, we do. We're we're playing, um, we're doing uh, the trains, boats and planes um, kind of gigs for the, you know, the anniversary. Yeah. So we're playing, the first gig we're playing is in Athens, in Greece. And uh, then we're playing Paris. This is in March. And then we have gigs, kind of, we, we have festivals then in Ireland in the summer. And we kind of, we're, we're playing a few more transports and planes gigs, like in Dublin and Cork. And we're probably having a, a Birmingham gig. We're playing in London um, towards the end of the year. We don't know the date yet, but it's just being sorted out at the moment, as is, as is the Birmingham gig. Yeah, uh, there's 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 a few there's a few just just getting 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 ready at the moment. Fantastic. Oh, do you do you have any potential shine? Another shine weekend coming up or towards um, the end? Of... Well, we haven't been approached yet. Um, I don't know because we played it so many times. Would they be wanting us back? I don't know. Yes. Is it something that they might might want another band in? I don't know because uh, we haven't been approached yet. But uh, I'd highly recommend it to anyone. Anyway, it's a fantastic festival. Yes, I might it's have really a fantastic. We loved our shine compilations in the nineties, didn't we? Yeah, one stop. I don't know pl- playlist, but that's good. Well, look- and that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. You probably gathered that. Anyway, a massive thank you to Paul Lynham for giving me the time for that interview. And um, if you want to find out any more information about the band, it's got a very good website, which I'll do, I'll include in the link below, frankandwalters.net. And uh, yes, if you want to contact me for some groovy and nice reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86show. All these have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Yes, indeed, you can. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.